Hi everyone and welcome to episode 52 of Shaman Talk. My name's Rhonda and I'm your host. And we're now into September. The animal that's come forward, the spirit animal that's come forward for this month is the swan, swan spirit. And swan spirit's telling us it's time for a deep dive, which is really exciting at this time of year. So when Swan Spirit arrives, you're called to take a deep dive beyond what is easily available on the surface. And you might think you know what's best for you now, but take the plunge into the depths of your awareness, for there is knowledge you're not aware of and great treasures to discover. Which is really interesting when we look at the topic that came up this week for discussion. Now the topic that's come up this week is the saviour archetype. Now, we've talked about the saviour archetype before, um, usually in relation to the drama triangle, and I've done previous podcasts discussing that, but I thought today what I would do is go into the saviour archetype in a bit more detail and just dedicate an entire podcast to that um, process. So, why do I want to deep dive into the saviour archetype? Well, personally for me, it's one of the biggest struggles that I've had in my life is to overcome my saviour tendencies. My saviour tendencies have gotten me into bother time and time and time again. Difficulties in relationships, difficulties over um, stretching myself, ending up just with people around me that were really toxic and difficult to deal with. Obviously, boundary work comes into that as well. This is all connected, but this specifically dealing with the the, kind of this idea of saving people, of always having solutions, of always being available, of always wanting to help and thinking that it's your, for want of a better word, your destiny to help people. But there's a dark and a light side to everything. And what I find often in the spiritual realms or or in spiritual groups is that the saviour archetype is alive and kicking alive and well and often running the show so for some of you in the group this week in the facebook group you'll see that i've written a post about um our eye language rule or our eye language boundary and somebody didn't like that rule didn't enjoy the feeling that that gave them and chose to leave the group and then when they chose to leave the group they also um said some other things as well and for me that was a really interesting thing to observe so what I was what I feel like I was observing there was the savior archetype fundamentally the savior archetype at work so being told no you cannot help people is for some people really strange. Why would you not let me do that? That's a really nice thing. I, you know, I can I can be of use to, to anyone who asks me questions, for example. And in some ways, it's really understandable to want to help a loved one or a friend or someone in a group. It's, it's natural to want to do that. But what I find in our culture is that the saviour archetype is, runs absolutely riot within within us or within many of us, especially people who are naturally empathic 
it comes hand in hand often. The saviour archetype runs parallel with being an empath and it just ends up being a really toxic combination. And I know that toxic combination very well. So let's think about moments where maybe you wanted to help someone and they don't want to be helped. Would you accept their refusal or would you insist on helping, believing that you know exactly how to handle the problem regardless of their desire to work it out for themselves? So that's sometimes what happens in groups is that you are quite capable of working something out for yourself and are really happy to be seen and witnessed in that process and yet someone still insists on you know, swooping in there and knowing best. So a saviour complex, let's have a look at that, the basic model of a saviour complex. And it basically describes the need to save people by fixing their problems. So if you have this complex, you might only feel good about yourself when you're helping someone else. You might believe that helping others is your sole purpose in this life. And you might expend so much energy trying to fix other people that you end up in burnout and feeling resentful and unsupported yourself. So let's have a look at this kind of behaviour and why maybe it can do more harm than good. So what does it look like? Well, in general, people consider helpfulness a positive trait. So you might not see anything wrong with trying to save and help other people, but there's a difference between helping and saving. So I'm not telling, I'm not saying to people don't help ever or don't step in when you think that people need a helping hand. What, I'm, what we're looking at here is a pathological need to save to the detriment of your own life, to the detriment of your own personal development. Um, so a psychologist, gotten his name now, Maori Joseph, I think his name is, um, showed that saviour tendencies can involve fantasies of omnipotence. In other words, you believe someone out there is capable of single-handedly making everything better and that person happens to be you. So that's a really interesting thing to think about. And I do recognise that myself. And I have to be very, very careful to manage my saviour tendencies, which is why in the groups that I run and the things that I do, I'll often work with other people, I'll often bring in different practitioners and... Um, I have different practitioners who also work in the group answering questions as well. You know, we get our knowledge, our support and our understanding from many different places in the world. So you might sacrifice your personal needs and overextend yourself in order to take care of people who may not actually want help. They might want help as well. We, as saviours, will often attract victims. Um, so, you know, the victim... We'll go into more detail about the victim archetype on a different podcast. But the, um, you know, the victim demands a saviour. So between the saviour and the victim, it can be a really toxic, codependent relationship. So the sacrifices that a saviour can make are usually like time, money and emotional space. And you think that you're the only one who can help. And saviours often feel driven to save other people because they believe no one else can. And maybe we don't really believe that we're all powerful, but there is some part of us, there's some part in there that believes 
that you have the ability to rescue someone or improve their life um, and that they don't know they don't know best but you do that's a real um, real driving force of the of the saviour what else can happen when you think about helping people in that way is that the belief can also imply a sense of superiority even if you don't have a conscious awareness of this it can come across in a way that you treat your partner or friend for example maybe you take on a parental role by patronizing them all the time or by correcting them all the time um, you're always right it doesn't matter what they do they can't quite do it right you know that kind of thing and when we talk about this difference between saving and helping, you know, we often move into saviour mode for the wrong reasons. So with saviour tendencies, you don't just help out when you have the time and the resources and the expertise and the knowledge. You, you just bend over backwards because it's the right thing to do. So trying to save other people because you feel you must, regardless of your own needs, is really... Um, counterproductive for your own wellness and wholeness and really disempowering and unhelpful for the person that you're helping usually so another thing to think about is that you may also believe that your needs matter less you're less important than the people that you're trying to help so some people might focus on helping other people when they feel unable to manage their own struggles or they have unresolved trauma or difficulties in their own past. So what you do then is that we start to use the saviour tendencies as a numbing technique. So you're out there helping people, you're always available, you're doing this, this, this and this, and you're juggling 40 plates and none of your own stuff gets looked at. But you still feel really good because you're helping other people and it's necessary because what would they do without you? And it's the right thing to do, right? That's what we tell ourselves as pathological saviours. But that's not the case. So, one thing to look at is that attempting to save someone from their problems often doesn't have the desired effect. So even if someone does manage to change as a result of your efforts, these effects are usually short-lived and don't last very long. Unless the person has asked for help has taken full responsibility for their own path and all you've done is point them to a, a book or a course that you've done or something helpful that they've asked for they've asked you for support that's fine but it's when people don't ask you so they've not asked you for help you see what they need to do or you think you see what they need to do and you basically force them into doing it and all that does is disempower them it makes them feel really bad when they fail can cause shame and guilt in that person and it's all because of your need to drive them towards a goal that was your goal and not their goal. And then what happens is that we begin to feel resentful and angry towards the people who we've tried to help but either shut down because they're not, they, they're just, it's just not a conversation that they want to have with you, they try it and they fail or they actually, what can often happen as well is that they get help from somewhere else and you become angry and resentful about that because you should have been the one that they came to. You would have been able to tell them to do that. That's a big red flag as well. And it also gives that kind of sense of losing control. 
So the saviour archetype is does have a measure of unhealthy control about it as well. Especially when it's a partner, a very close friend or a child, an older child, that saviour archetype meaning to rush in and be there all the time as a way to control your environment because of whatever trauma is driving your saviour tendencies. So it's not an easy thing to hear, but being a saviour is a way to control your environment, is a way to control the environment around you and it's actually can be very manipulative as well. Okay, so can we overcome it? Can we can we like not be saviours anymore? Well, absolutely, we can overcome it. The first step is to recognise that it exists, and um, recognise that it's not what we thought it was. So there's no guilt or shame here. It's just recognising that that's something that we do that we don't want to do anymore. So when we know better, we do better. So identifying that you want to change your mindset is the first step. Okay, so one of the things that I learned how to do that really helped me was learning how to listen. So how often do you just sit and listen to somebody without intent to reply? You're not thinking about solutions, you're not thinking about anything else, you're just like, this person needs me to listen to them. Yeah? So you might think, usually we think that a loved one brings up a problem because they want help, but they literally just might need somebody to to listen, somebody to talk to. So really avoid the urge to cut them off with solutions and advice and just listen. Listen with your spirit ears, you know, calling your guides to help. Other things that you can do if you're not sure if someone would like your help or not is it's best Really, it's just best to avoid stepping in unless someone asks you for help. There's nothing, but there's nothing wrong with letting your loved ones know that you're there for them. So you could say something like, let me know if you need help or I'm here if you need me. Instead of taking control of the situation and pressuring them to accept your help, try putting the ball in their court. If they do ask for help, follow their guidance or or ask what it is that you can do instead of assuming that you know best. So leave the responsibility with them. And just be there as a quiet support. Remember, you only control yourself. You don't control other people. Sorry, that's quite a big long pause there. I was just thinking of something. And that's really interesting. What I'm thinking of is I'm thinking of that, like the way to like set good examples. I've just, this has just kind of come into my mind. So people with saviour tendencies often use helping behaviour to cope with personal challenges, yeah? So you can demonstrate helpful ways to deal with distress by taking productive steps to manage challenges, practice self-compassion for failures or mistakes and actively listening and offering help when asked. So when we model a more realistic way of treating ourselves and others, when other people see us being kind to ourselves and forgiving our inability to fix other people, they probably, they're just, they're going to want to find out how you did that and maybe look at that themselves. So by making these types of changes, we can really be um, a, a light in the dark for others as well. So 
what can you do if you are experiencing um, people who are trying to save you? Let's just add this in at the end here. So, people with um, saviour tendencies tend to rush in. So their language is quite important. So if you feel, now that you're aware of it, you're aware of the saviour and you're maybe going to try to stop your own saviour tendencies, you really will start to notice that other people, when other people do it to you as well. So language can really help there. So you can say things like, no thank you, I've got this under control. I appreciate your offer of help, but I don't need anything from you right now. But I'll let you know if I do. Um, or if it if it really is pathological and, and difficult and the person isn't listening to you, then you can say things like, I know you want to help because you care, but I'd really rather work through this on my own so I can learn from what's happened. Or, or even even more kind of forthright when you don't give me the chance to deal with problems myself I feel like you don't respect me okay so when I and you know when a loved one's saviour tendencies affect your relationship then you can suggest that um to them not in not in the moment when they are trying to save you but you can say to them okay I'm working on um self-empowerment right now I'm working on not saving people myself and I would really appreciate it if you could you know think carefully about the need to save me or to help me when I'm not asking for it so it's really that kind of like uninvited unsolicited support and help that you're that you can straight up ask someone to stop doing for you and let them know that it's not because you don't love them. It's because you need to make some changes to y- your life and you- you're building an, em- an empowered path for yourself. So it might be difficult. People, when you make changes, people lash out. Sometimes they don't, you know, often a saviour will need a victim. So if you've, if, you're, if you've been a victim and you start to make those changes, the saviour can flip to the perpetrator quite quickly and be very angry with you and again you know the language is really important there I understand that you're angry right now but this is not going to change so it's up to you to come to terms with that in whatever way is right for you so we're not taking any responsibility for anybody's actions or reactions just our own so the saviour archetype is a really deep driver in our culture for men and women in different ways, I think. For me, as a woman, obviously, I can speak to the that female saviour archetype way more easily than I can the man, the male um, equivalent of that archetype. But, you know, it's really interesting because as children, we're taught fairy stories where the young princess is saved by the knight in shining armour in varying forms throughout certainly throughout my childhood it's starting to change now in some of the things that we watch but it's still true that the man's expected to swoop in and save everything um and it's really quite a lot of pressure for men if i have to say it's quite a lot of pressure to expect a man to swoop in and save and be there in that kind of white knight way um it's just a really interesting concept i'll be interested to hear anybody's thoughts on that especially men who listen to the podcast in the facebook group 
and maybe we can get a bit of a discussion going on how people feel about the savior archetype and how um how it affects our lives how we how we perceive it because i mean this is only from my perspective i'm talking about my own experiences and working with many clients who experience the um this kind of need to save um and maybe it's just the people who kind of find me but it's pretty um it's pretty endemic i mean it's really it's everywhere this need to save they need to find solutions they need to give unsolicited advice they need to help other people um, we see it in the group and I, and I guess one of the things that you might notice in the group is you might struggle to know how to communicate in the group because we don't allow unsolicited advice and we ask that you only use I language and what I've noticed is that some of the conversations can be a bit stilted and a bit it's a bit difficult to get a bit of a conversation going because people find that type of communication really difficult because we're not taught how to express ourselves from our from our own self from our own point of view from our own heart from our own um solid confident self because we're just not taught how to do that in this culture it's really interesting when you start to scratch beneath the surface of why the savior archetype is such a such a burden on our society anyway um, so that's it for today. The saviour archetype. Do you recognise this in yourself? If you do, there are lots of ways for you to overcome that. And we'll go over a couple of um, activities and a journey in the next section. So I will see you there in just a second. Hey and welcome back. Okay, so now we're going to work with the swan energy the deep dive, the um, the beauty of the swan is that you feel the swan kind of moving gracefully across the surface and yet underneath there's so much work going on. Um, I really, I love the, personally I love swan energy. Swan's been around for me since I was quite a young kid. Um, I have a really lovely, lovely memory when I was really young. I lived on an island off the west coast of Scotland, and um, my parents were always really busy running a cafe that they owned at the time. And I think I was only six or seven, and I would cross the main road and go to the beach um, with the bread, the leftover bread from the cafe, and I would spend time with the swans there and feed them. And it straight in my hand. I was tiny, and they were so big, and I had no fear. And and then when they had their sigmets, when they had their babies, they would bring their babies to. Um, and it was a really lovely way to spend the afternoon just hanging out on the beach with the swans. So swans have a, re- a real, a real, a real special place. But the other thing about swans as well is that they're quite can be quite fierce, and you know beauty. Things can be calm and beautiful, but they can also be fierce. And I think that's one of the things about the work that we do that's important is that. Being a spiritual person, living a spiritual life, doesn't mean that you're a doormat. It doesn't mean that beauty is does not have edges. Beauty does not have boundaries. It doesn't mean that it doesn't mean that there's no difficulty. You know, so I think that's really what Swan represents to me, as as well as the beauty and the grace with everything going on underneath. Also, the fierceness and the protective nature of a swan. Is also important to us as well. So what I'd like you to do this week 
whilst working with the energy of the swan, you know, go with your guides. Um, and also, I'd just like to add to that is, you know, you don't need to see or really even know who your guides are. All, all you need to do is connect with the knowing that your guides are there. So that might be the love and light of the universe. Um, it could be tree energy, anything that you feel like connecting with. As long as you hold it in your heart, true and clear that you're connecting with your spiritual team and with your guides it doesn't matter if you know who they are or see them or feel them or anything just hold the intention i know a lot of people who who work in that way and it's it's a really solid way to work um because everybody's different and there's no right or wrong way so you connect with the energy of your guides whether you know them or not just connect with that energy and ask to take a deep dive ask to go beyond the surface And ask to be shown something that you don't know about the saviour complex. Ask to be shown something that you don't know. And be open to what that looks like. So it could be something about your own behaviour. It could be something about someone else's behaviour. It could be something else entirely. So just be open and see what comes forward for you. And the second thing I'd like you to do... And I get people to do this quite a lot. It's a really easy way to find out if you have a saviour complex is to go seven days without giving any advice, unsolicited advice, without telling anybody what to do or why and without finding solutions for the people around you. So exemptions to this are if you, for example, are a manager at work and that's your job, that's fine. If you have young children, that's fine. But in general, with your partner friends, colleagues, um, parents, no unsolicited advice, no solutions, just be with the people around you and don't do that and see how difficult it is. And that will give you a really, that's the best indication of a saviour complex is if every five minutes you're catching yourself. Um, And if you don't catch yourself and you still do it, then that's fine. But pay attention to it anyway. You know, observe yourself. Oh, I've just done that thing. Oh, I'll make a note of that. You know, no big sticks, no beating yourself up, no criticism. This is an e- an exercise and observation so that we can make different choices about how we interact with people in the world. Okay, so try going seven days. And during those seven days, if you feel able and, um, and you have enough energy for it, you can also check to see if people are being a saviour for you so you can keep your eye out and maybe make a note of how often someone in your life tries to save you or give you solutions when you don't need them I know that that can be really helpful for me actually because um we all do that in our household sometimes people just be like I wonder you're you're over functioning and you're you're looking for too many solutions when nobody's nobody needs a solution are you okay because actually what that is it's a real telltale sign that I'm having a hard time and I'm trying to deflect from the work that or the problem or the thing that I'm worried about and sometimes it can be completely sub, subconscious and I don't notice until someone points it out to me so having those honest conversations is really useful obviously with people who are on a similar path or who are open to those conversations for sure but you know just chatting about it can be really useful so go try going seven days without giving people advice telling them what to do or why or finding solutions for anybody for the people around you and let me know how difficult that is you can the facebook group link 
is in the show notes. And the show notes this week, as usual, are centerforshamanism.com forward slash 52. So that's centerforshamanism.com forward slash 52. So I've quite enjoyed this week. I am definitely working more closely at the moment with my saviour archetype, which is why I've decided to do a kind of closer look at that process. Um, It gives me somewhere to send people who really are new to our group. Because, I mean, I I know I did the video where I was explaining the eye language process, but I couldn't make it that long because nobody's going to arrive in a group and immediately watch a 30-minute video. So it gives me that. It also gives all of us the opportunity to examine our... um, where our energy is going. You know, is all of our energy flowing out of our body to other people and other things and therefore not staying within us? Are we giving away our personal power to our saviour archetype? Because that is definitely something that I see a lot and I have a tendency to do myself. Well, I hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Um, Welcome to Swan Spirit Month, a deep dive into your... Um, your soul so I'll see you all in the Facebook group and I look forward to next week's podcast same time, same place one last thing I really encourage you to join my Facebook community it's a beautifully safe space to discuss all things to do with shamanism and you are very welcome to join us in that community there If that resonates with you, you'll find the link on the show notes for this episode. Much love and have a great day.